This is not complicated, just green. And it's time for an installment of Common Sense for Better Construction. We're bridging the information gap to help you reach a brighter future in the built world. Today's episode is sponsored by Creative Interface Architecture and Interiors, making sustainable construction practically impactful. Check us out at www.creativeinterface.design. Welcome, friends. I'm your host, James, and I'm very excited to introduce Patrick Chopson, one of the founders of Cove.Tools. Now, for me, this episode represents just the perfect blend of building science nerdiness with down-to-earth straight talk and good common sense. It's also an example of how smarter design can create not only a longer-lasting building with a lower carbon footprint that uses less energy and is more enjoyable to spend your time in, but also smarter tools can make buildings easier to design in less time that costs less to build. So the website to check it out is cove.tools, and they're helping architects, engineers, contractors, building owners, even publicly traded corporations. They use digital automation and cost optimization of a building, its systems, and the materials used to build it. They focus on data-driven workflows and analytics, which makes it easier than ever to take sustainability concerns into account when making choices about your buildings. With easy-to-use tools that provide quick metrics and graphic representations of the real information that can drive client discussions and design decision-making. In the brief time since CoveTool began, the buildings that have been designed using Cove.Tools has offset 33.7 million tons of CO2. Many professionals use CoveTool from early-stage energy analysis to compliance-level carbon studies all the way through its life cycle. Please enjoy. Uh, I went to Southern Polytechnic, which is now Kennesaw State for architecture. And then um, I went to Purdue for a while for mechanical engineering. I've done both things and then got my master's in high-performance buildings at Georgia Tech. That's kind of a building simulation focused degree. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. Did you start this company right out of school or what did you do after I'm graduating? Once I graduated, I knew I've always wanted to look at the intersection between buildings and technology and how's it all come together. So I ended up joining uh, Perkins and Will, which is one of the largest architecture firms in the world. Yeah. And on their research lab um, was Dr. John Hemmaker. Um, if he recently passed, but I guess on that team, one of the things that's really interesting is we were looking at how to integrate, you know, practice driven research into the architecture workflow. So that's what got me started working with that. And then once I worked there for a little bit, Sandy Pahuja, who's my co-founder here at CodeTool, she and I quit and started a consulting practice. From that consulting practice, we started automating it until eventually people were like, we'd like to buy that thing that you've made. Uh, it was a bunch of scripts that we had hacked together. So I was like, well, can't really buy a bunch of scripts, but my brother, uh, Daniel Chopson, who, who's our CTO for CodeTool, mm -hmm. I convinced him to quit his high-paying job. And, okay. And that's how we started CodeTool. In the simplest of terms, what is CodeTool? Yeah, CodeTool is a web-based application. It's a kind of a suite that connects together all your different architects, engineers around different things like energy, daylight, carbon, glare, all those different pieces. And then we bring in people like product manufacturers for products, but it's basically we're building what I call the billing information network, trying to create a complete data model of a building where all the different inputs are known as our ultimate aim. And why is that so important? Well, the biggest reason is obviously uh, climate change is like the most important reason why we want to work on that. Everyone knows something about the problem, but they don't all have the information to make the right choice. But there's a lot of business problems as well. Between the integration of all these different people, there's all this missing information. So everyone's making decisions based on not the complete picture. So the more you can link them up, the more that everyone has a common understanding of the project. And then they make better decisions and avoid designer visions and make more efficient in their business. But then the side effect of that is that we reduce carbon emissions because 
carbon emissions just happens to be your operational energy from your building, the material carbon went into making that material. Once we can know all those inputs, then it's a lot easier to calculate that and make different choices than what we've done historically, because buildings are 40% of all carbon emissions. So, <laughs> And it's a very small number of people who are making all these decisions. Like architects are like 0.0003% of the world's population, but they're making choices about 40% of our carbon, usually without any simulation or any tools or anything that helps them know what to do. So they usually just do what they did on the last project. And that's why you see carbon emissions going up like a rocket. So we've had buildings that we can collect this data for decades, centuries. Mm -hmm. What was it about collecting that data and trying your best to implement what you knew about the last project? Why, why wasn't it effective to expect architects and engineers to figure these things out on their own based on their, the data and their experiences? So every building has thousands of decisions that get made as it gets designed. If you think about if you wanted to change the door one door type on every door in an airport, that could be 8,000 doors. So that's a lot of tracking of a lot of information. Usually what's going on is when it comes to like making choices, every choice you make in a building affects a lot of, the, of other choices. So like, for example, energy, if I change the glass, then my HVAC system might have to get bigger. If I change the lighting, then like, for example, this office that we're in now is a little too cold because we switched out LED lights for the incandescent lights that were in here before. Switching things connects everything else. So it's like a, mm -hmm. it's a, what they call multi-objective problem. And so if you use uh, a little bit of machine learning, you can look through the entire design space of all the alternatives and find optimal solutions that are cheaper and more energy efficient, less carbon intensive. Because uh, most of the time when people want to do something really good from a green perspective, mm -hmm. They associate that with extra cost. Whereas if you run some optimization, a lot of times you can make a building cost about two, three percent less and also be 40% more efficient at the same time. As a human, you can't analyze all the alternatives. Was it just the, the load that was being expected of the humans in order to calculate? Was that really the only problem that you were trying to address? Or are there other industry issues that you also wanted to go after when you started Cove Tool? Yeah, I think the main thing is just, I was just thinking about as a consultant, I could affect 25 projects a year in maximum. I could write all the different analysis for daylight or energy or glare, optimize for that. But at the end of the day, like there's thousands and millions of buildings getting built. And the only way to create systematic change is to change the way people work. I think my goal going through all this is to design how people design, if you're an architect or how they engineer and help them try to find ways to systematically change the way that they approach the problem. Is it just addressed to the envelope of the building and the HVAC system, or does it go deeper than that? Yeah, so it's everything in your building has some carving impact to it. So once you start to connect those together, it's existing buildings, new buildings. Uh, for example, a lot of times people want to knock down an old building. Right. But all that carbon that was emitted into the atmosphere to make those materials, it made that existing building, all that has been done. If you can reuse the structure, which is where the majority of the carbon is, now you have like a building that's like, could be net zero carbon. Yeah. But if you build something new, it would take like a hundred years to offset, even with a high performance building, mm -hmm. all the carbon that goes into making that high performance building. We hear it a lot. The most sustainable building is the one that's already there. Exactly. So what issues do architects and engineers and construction professionals face that CT can help and how is it that you actually go about helping them? If I'm an architect, for instance, and I'm designing a building, I'm just drawing on a page, I'm thinking like, where does this building go? I propose a design based on where the streets are and how it comes together. And then I send that to my engineer. Traditionally, the engineer gets that thing eventually and he's like, this isn't gonna work at all. He like sends it back to the architect and says, this design doesn't work, change everything, all your glasses in the wrong place. Yeah. And then the architect's like, 
if only they would have told me in the beginning, I wouldn't have to spend all that time making this beautiful looking thing, but I have to redo it all over again. So then finally, architect does another three or four weeks of work, sends it back to the engineer, and the engineer's like, this is acceptable. Then the architect and engineer send their drawings onto the contract, and they're like, hey, we just need some pricing on this. Contractor sends it to his cost estimator. The cost estimator looks at it and it's like, there's not a snowball's chance in anywhere that this thing is going to be buildable for the price that you guys want to build it for. So change everything. Mm-hmm. It goes back to architect, architect redesigns everything. It's the engineer, he redesigns it, sends it back and forth, and then it finally gets back. So there's all these, like this web of all these decisions. And because everyone's operating without any understanding of how what they're doing impacts the next person, they're, they're constantly redoing work. So I think that's like our biggest thing is we're trying to do is while we're solving this data problem for carbon, also let's solve the business problem. Yeah. Because like if you can, especially in America, connect a profit motive to the thing that you're trying to achieve, everyone's going to win. People are going to make more money. Billions are going to cost less. You're going to be more efficient. Right. And you're going to be lower carbon. And no one will have to change anything about what they do other than just you, the little data analysis in your workflow. I mean, like productivity is like grown by 2%, I think, in, in the ADC industry over the last 30 years, according to McKinsey or something like that. Yeah. So that's outrageous. So that's an, now, think about the technological advancements that we've had. How could we not yeah. <laughs> make more progress? And in many cases, firms that use some of your Ben tools of today, like their profit margin has has not increased for like the last 10 years because there's no new gains in the tools that they're using. And so they're like, we're not making any money. Subscription prices for all of our software we use are going up. Mm-hmm. There's obviously a problem that we're running around working more and more hours trying to account for all this data. Mm-hmm. We're just pushing data around. Now we're not really getting to design or engineer, you know, contractors are still building, but everyone's making less money because there's just more parameters to the problem than what they were used to. Or, you know, before there wasn't an energy code back in the 90s, <laughs> you know, prior to that, like 2003 was the first version of the ASHRAE standard for energy codes. Mm-hmm. Now we're, many states are approaching net zero in the next few years, got like, embodied carbon going energy code compliance for like California and DC and other places. So, you know, everyone is like having to consider way more problems. There's also finance. So like now there's scope two and three reporting that are going to be required by the SEC for, you know, publicly listed companies. Mm -hmm. That means that design professions and the contractors have now have a material impact on people's financial valuations for their companies and things like that. So there's just more things to track and not saying no very people <laughs> yeah. to track them. Uh, so what you really need is what we call the billing information network, which is Coke tool. If you think about the amount of expectations put on the industry, we're building so much faster, so much, so many more buildings going up at a time and the expectation to finish the design and deliver the design finish the construction and hand over the keys, all of that has been ramped up during that period of time. It really begs the question, like, what is it costing us? I wonder if you've ever tried to calculate oh, what, man. what what the the financial impact that it's it's costing either within a firm, within a project, or to the industry as a whole yeah. to have not had code tool until now. Yeah. I think you can really see it immediately. And if you just look at people's hours that they work per week, if you're an architect or engineer and you're asking yourself, it sure seems like, you know, 15, 20 years ago when I was new in the profession, seems like we were working as much, but we were doing more design or, you know, they talked to all their Gen Z and millennial employees and they're like, why are you guys burning out? Like, that's just the culture of architecture. But it's not the culture of architecture to spend your time looking up PDFs and sending emails and doing all this like busy work that we're doing like yeah. that is not design or nor is it what they did when they were new they were actually right. drawing stuff and thinking through details and like 
you know, so there's like a lot of problems that are being caused by it. So I think you can really measure it in people's frustration with the industry as a whole is like, that's why a lot of people burn out. You know, they're not going home to see their family. You know, honestly, architects should be making lots of money. Licensed profession has a huge impact on the world. Pretty exclusive. Yeah. Not a lot of them. There's a lot of work out there. If we do it inefficiently, then live 60 hour weeks at work and hardly see our kids. You know, <laughs> I want to switch that around and make it so that architecture is again, more a prestigious practice. That's not running around like a chicken with your head off, but actually <laughs> doing cool things, thinking about the problem, making the world a better place. What are the opportunities that are being lost? by architects, engineers, construction that are not using co-tool. Mm -hmm. The big thing you're missing out on is definitely profit. If every time you have a design revision, that's like two to three weeks working to try to redo a set of drawings and push those out again. If you're a contractor and you're like, I can get this glass and it'll be here on the time, but the specified glass won't be here for six months. It's going to knock the schedule cattywampus, but I don't have a way to like evaluate that in time. So maybe I'll just, I'll just order the glass that's specified. There's like this huge profit margin that they're missing out or if you're an engineer and you're constantly having to remodel 3d models from architects that they send you because 3d models don't work for your tools you're that's a lot of wasted engineering time a lot of wasted talent most of the time people are just missing out on large swaths of money that could be discovered just by putting a little bit more automation which is our goal so it's kind of a cultural change that has to change where people are like now i'm going to throw more interns at this problem i'm going to instead apply some technology so we can all make more money if you can avoid one design revision per project team per year, as an architect, that works out to about one Tesla per principal. Wow. How hard is it for an architect or an engineer to understand CoveTool and start to implement it into their routines? Well, we kind of see we have a lot. We have like 25,000 projects and 20,000 users. So we've seen a lot of different ways that people can do something. But what we find that works the best is... If people focus on the low hanging, if you're a design manager, it's like, I'm just going to use just the daylight model. So kind of like get your feet wet. And then when you're like, well, the client really liked that. And now they're asking about energy. Oh, the energy was already automatically generated. So there's like one level you can use our tool where everything's automated. And that takes about an hour for one person to learn. And that's like, I'm not going to touch any buttons. I'm just going to say, make me a report <laughs> that has all the stuff. So that's one level. And so we can design the tool for that every day user, you know, like a regular engineer, regular architect, building owner, whoever it is that doesn't want to get down the weeds. If you get trained on all the other things that we do, we have a bunch of training programs. Then you can learn how to edit that thing. From our standpoint, we believe automation lets the regular person do the work, but giving all the inputs allows the more specialized person to like affect what both sides are doing. So I think it depends on what phase of the project you want to do, you know, how detailed you want to get. I think it's kind of a, a range. If you know what type of project it is, mm -hmm. where it's at, and upload some geometry, you can get everything you would typically get from a consultant that would take like two months. You can do that in about 15 minutes. What's the future that you'd like to see for the architecture and construction industry? I'd like to see people move away from so much manual workflows. I would like to see people spend more time, focus on their core expertise. Like how do we highlight what humans are good at? There's a saying somewhere that only God can watch every sparrow. We need to have machines watching over all the details and people setting the objectives for the machines to watch over. That is my ultimate aim. I think we can get there in the next like maybe five-ish years is my guess, just based on what I can see. What are the other ways that CoveTool is preparing to grow and adapt? If this becomes more the industry norm, what you're asking people to take on and to accept now becomes mainstream. What's next for CoveTool? So far, we've raised about $36.5 million to date in venture funding from both uh, Robert Dang Jr., who's <laughs> one of our investors. Really? 
uh, which is why we have some Ironmans around the office. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we also have uh, Co2, which is one of the largest institutional investors out there. I kind of see that the kind of mainstreaming of this as the different energy codes, as they keep being more stringent every year, people are trying to like figure out when now what am I going to do about that? And also the carbon picture becomes more and more clear that it's about embodied carbon. I think a lot of manufacturers are trying to figure out how do we get all these new products that we've come up with that have low carbon, how do we make sure the architects know about them? For example, you know, there's a product called rock wool that you use in the walls, mineral fiber, but it's actually really good. It's a good insulator, but it's also really low carbon. Mm-hmm. So that product maybe is not in most people's standard details. How are they going to let your average architect know not to use polyisoboard or something that's like really high carbon? Mm-hmm. There has to be a way for them to evaluate that. So I really think that, that is kind of like the big opportunity. Say somebody is the building end user or the building owner. They're not an architecture and engineer or construction pro. They want the, to influence their architect, engineer, or construction professionals that they're hiring to start using CT. What's the best way for them to present that? And what's what's some arguments that a, an end user or a building owner might want right. to bring to the table? For example, like Cousins Properties right now is using Code Tool. Basically, they said, like, we want to give a tool to our subconsultants. Here's the objectives that we've set as a developer. How can you guys get there? Here's a framework for doing that. So I think like a lot of your developers and owners, they have like a portfolio requirement they're trying to hit. And then they want to see like on a specific project, what is going to be the energy target? How close are we trying to get the code? Is there a way to make this project cheaper? Can we get all the different participants in the same shared digital workspace and have a conversation around the objectives? And I think that's typically how most of the developers kind of get kicked off. And they'll like show it to their users. Say, like, well, most of the time, their architects they're working with are already tool users anyway. So it's kind of like, oh, we're using this too. And everybody's like, oh, great. You know, so it's like now everyone has the ability to kind of talk because we have a chat application. We also track the energy use over time and graph. So you can see like when a choice is made, who made that choice, why was it made? So it kind of helps everyone maintain control of the carbon budget and the cost budgets of the project. So not only are, can they ask about the construction budget, but they can start to ask about what's my carbon budget. Yeah, exactly. Because like that's, that's becoming more and more an issue because, you know, every investor is, hey, I, I want to know what the risk of this is. So like, for example, Goldman Sachs was investing in a tower project in uh, Miami, but they did their climate risk assessment and the carbon assessment for the building. And it was the building would have been destroyed within the time horizon of the investment of 20 years. So they pulled out of the project and that tower is being built in another city. So it gives you a sense of finance now as the ones that are like really looking at like building owners may not be aware. But the people who are giving them the money are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, I don't want to build a tower in a place where the seawater is going to creep in and eat away the foundations that that building that I invest in falls over. And what you see is like there is this is giant database in, from the European Union of all these different buildings that are investment. And they did an audit of it and they realized that 25% of them were lost. You know, like you have to write those off because the risk of them being destroyed is so high. I think most of the owners are already thinking about, well, we need to know what the risk is. We know what the carbon thing is. We got to report that because we're a publicly traded company. So there's a lot of that thinking is happening right now. I know like, for example, JLL is trying to hire like a thousand sustainability professionals in the next year to help them do this. But where are you going to find a thousand people who are experts in sustainable design? And like they're what probably they are already working. So unfortunately, what the, or fortunately for us, I guess, like what companies like that are realizing is that if they had one experienced person and then 10 not so experienced people, but they combine that with code tool, now they can do all the projects to a very high level where they were only going to get like maybe 25 to 40% of their stuff analyzed before. So it's kind of like a, a big cultural change that's happening on the finance side. And I think 
from the architect side that's changing. I think it's owners are just now realizing that there's all these new reporting requirements that are coming in for 2023. And you're like, oh, we're not ready for that, which is kind of cool. That's good for architects because it means now putting them back in the driver's seat around decision-making because you can't make a low carbon building without involving a good architect or engineer or contractor. I can see how this is empowering for architects and engineers. I can definitely see where the end users and the building owners would have reasons to get behind this. Let's say that this was being heard by somebody who's just an advocate, just yeah. about thinks because of their responsibility as a person that lives on earth, that they want to yeah. promote this, they want to support this. What are some of the things that they can do? Is there some way that they can get behind this movement and, and help in this way? Let's say in your workplace, you can ask questions of your employers like, hey, what are we doing about reducing our carbon impact? Just asking the question. Now that rises to the level of an HR concern and HR is going to say, oh, look, I fielded 10 questions about our carbon emissions thing. What are we doing about that? Then that goes to management. They're like, well, we need to do something about that from a retention standpoint. So it kind of starts to work its way into things. You can also make sure that if you are working in a job and if you find out that you're company you work for is making a negative impact on the environment, go try to find another job. You know, don't, don't perpetuate systems that make things worse. Also, like, let's say you're on the board, you're in a position of authority. You can ask an architect, like, what is your carbon profile for this project? Like, and if that information's not there, don't hire that guy. (laughs) And then there's also like, you can go to the school board and say like, what are we doing to reduce carbon emissions for the school district? If you just ask questions, most of the time people are like, Somebody else is going to ask the question, but it really takes only like five to 10% of people starting to like just question the systems that we live in. Do we need so much darn plastic in the break? Asking that question and people are like, well, there's alternatives. We could order something different. We could, most of the time people just keep hanging reorder on the Amazon thing. (laughs) They don't really think about, it's kind of the same problem that we're solving for buildings. People do what they did on the last project. You tend to like keep doing the things you're doing before. You can vote for, you know, reducing carbon emissions from transport, you know, by voting for in Georgia, like our special taxes that fund transit and the parks and things like that. So there's lots of ways that we can make a difference, but you need to look for systematic change. And the more you just start talking to other people, because a lot of people are like, I was worried about climate change, but none of my friends were willing to talk about it. That's kind of like the thing I usually hear is like, oh, thank God someone is here. <laughs> like who's as worried about this as I am. Because I guarantee you right now, uh, I think it's like 65% of the US population thinks that there's not enough is being done to solve the problem. So that's a lot of people. So I guarantee if you bring it up in conversation with someone, they'll be like, well, I was thinking about that too. So there's power in numbers and power in trying to change the world that you live in. You don't have to make a big change, but everyone working together can make that. Thank you for joining us, friends, for another serving of common sense. This was not complicated, just green. Sponsored by Creative Interface Architecture and Interiors. Redefining the impact of great design one client at a time. Check us out at www.creativeinterface.design.